All right. That was an awesome time of worship. I love how this section is still going, and this section was done like minutes ago. I was like, yeah, I've had my fair share. Hey, uh, welcome. Welcome to Exchange. I'm so glad you guys are here. My name is Josiah. Um, I would love to meet you after this is your first time. Just say, hey, what's up? Um, We are so glad you're here. Do me a favor. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. If you need a Bible so you can follow along, raise your hand. We would love to get you one. So you can just follow along with us in Philippians 4. Some extra credit if you want to turn to 1 Timothy 6. That's cool too, but Philippians 4. Uh, again, welcome to The Exchange. Um, our church is just called The Exchange because we believe that's the gospel and the word, that God switched places with us. He took our sin, our filth, our junk, and he gave us his righteous and holy and perfect life. And so it's the gospel and a word, and we're so glad you're here. Hey, we're in the book of Philippians. Uh, just so you guys know, in case you're new or maybe you're just joining us, we've been making our way through the book of Philippians for almost five months now. We started this in January. We'll finish next week. Our last... Uh, Yes, text or sermon is going to be next week. Uh, kind of sad about that, but so thankful for this book. So thankful for what God, I think, has just been doing in our church through this book. Um, next, in two weeks, we'll be starting the book of Nehemiah. Uh, the hope for us, just so you know, in case you're like, what do we, why do you pick through random books? What is this? Uh, for us as a church, we've kind of looked at 2019 as like the year to build. So Philippians for us is like, God, build your kingdom on earth. And, and we look at this from living as citizens of heaven. Nehemiah is a very practical way of saying, how do we get vision, a calling, a burden, a passion? How do we actually be proactive and have a plan to build God's kingdom? And so we're going to study Nehemiah in just a couple of weeks. I'm looking so forward to that. And one more quick thing I just want to make you guys aware of. On your seat, you should have this little square card. Maybe you sat on it. Maybe it fell. I don't know. Uh, but there should be this little square card. In case you are new or just wondering what's going on, we were asked a few weeks ago to um, basically saying, hey, uh, during the summer, the school's going to be remodeled, the roofs and the AC. So our last weekend here at the school is next Sunday, June 2nd. We're taking a nine-week summer vacation in Boca, just three miles away. Um, So basically, we had to look for a new location. So we will be at Hammock Point Elementary um, from June 9th through August 4th. Hammock Point Elementary from June 9th through August 4th. Um, Thankfully, we found something even this close. We had a very difficult time calling like 20-something places, asking if we can use their movie theater or their church or everything you can think of. Um, And luckily, this place is like, we would love to have you. They're Title I school. They're very honest and said, hey, we could use the money. We could use this. This would be great for us and great for you. So um, this is the only place that took us and the place that took us with excitement. So I do think this is the Lord. Um, So I think in case there's a picture, Hammock Point Elementary, and you can see there, it's about three three and a half miles away. So if you drive like me, it's about five minutes away. It's great. All right. Um, don't <laughs> also, when you look at this, like, don't let this freak you out when you hear it's in Boca. It's literally five minutes away. Um, and I really do believe the Lord has us here for a reason. We're trying to pray through like, God, uh, this school is like in the center of a neighborhood. We're kind of going, what are we supposed to do these nine weeks or moving forward? Um, so we're just kind of open-handed and saying, God, uh, show us what it is you want us to do. So we're here next week. We're going to finish Philippians. Then June 9th, we're at Hammock Point. We're starting the book of Nehemiah. Cool? Sound like a plan? Yes? Sounds good. All right, sweet. Hey, Philippians chapter 4. Let me just kind of catch up to speed. Uh, I know I've shared this, but it's just good to be refreshed knowing the verses, knowing the context. Paul, uh, he was once a persecutor of Christians, used to kill Christians, drag them out of homes. He was there when the first Christian was martyred or killed on behalf of Christ. So he was once called Saul. God grabbed hold of his life. He became Paul. Paul would go on to write many books of the Bible. He'd plant many churches. He's currently writing this letter from prison. 
and he's writing primarily about joy. And he's saying uh, joy is not the absence of trouble, it's the presence of something greater. And he's saying, listen, you and I can have joy despite our circumstances. And specifically in our text today, as we talk about contentment, we're going to see how this fits so well. And so I love this book. I appreciate this book. I appreciate this church. It's a good example for our church. They really did love the Lord. They really did live generously. They were just a unique church. And so let me just kind of catch up to speed in case, again, you are new. So Philippians chapter 4, he says this, this verse or these words. He says, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. That's how he introduces this new chapter. And then he kind of goes through ways to stand firm in the Lord. A few weeks ago, we looked at disagreements and the gospel. There's obviously this argument between two women leaders in the church, and Paul is addressing that issue. And then he goes from disagreements, and he talks about anxiety. On Mother's Day, we talked about anxiety in depth, and I really do believe that was just a word for our church. Um, But he talked about how disagreements can even lead to anxiety. Last week, we looked at the idea of just the thought life. So now that you have anxiety, how do we control our thoughts? What are we supposed to think about? We talked about how we're supposed to think about what we think about. Think about things that are noble and pure and lovely, and essentially it's Jesus. It's the gospel. And today we're going to be looking at, now after thought life, Paul's specifically walking and talking to us about now contentment. In light of kind of dealing with anxiety in our thoughts, how do we live a content life? And so really, this to me is like almost the heart of what Paul's been getting at. He's like, I'm in prison writing about joy. I have peace and contentment in prison, and that is because of Jesus, and I know that you can have the same contentment too. And guys, this is so needed for our church. I mean, we live in South Florida. We live in, I think, a very difficult area and on the globe to be content. That we're always chasing the next thing. There's always the next billboard, next event, next concert, next whatever. And I really do believe God's just trying to speak to our church about being still, about being content. In the midst of moving locations, I feel like the Lord's telling me, be content. And I really do think God is just has us in this section of Scripture for many reasons. You know, there's a guy named John Piper, and he kind of writes about this idea of contentment. And maybe you've heard this phrase because it kind of got well-known and turned to books, but it's called, he calls it Christian hedonism. And he basically says this, which I think is spot on. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So we talk about contentment. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. How do we be satisfied in him, content in him? That is God, that's when he says God is most glorified and when we are most at rest and at peace with him. So I'm praying that if you came in this room today, anxious still, thought life still, maybe discontent, dissatisfied, that God can do a fresh work, a new work, and that we can have a peace, a contentment that is only explained because of the gospel of Jesus. So let's look at this, let's read the verses, uh, and then we'll look at this more in depth. And even next week, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 through 13, but this applies so much so to next week. So this is kind of like part one on contentment, and then it applies to what he's saying ultimately the big picture. All right, let's read Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. We'll read it, then we'll pray. Philippians 4, verse 10. He says, after he talks about the mind, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. We'll talk about that more next week. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's pray, and we'll look at this more in depth. Father, we just do thank you um, for some powerful, 
scripture that maybe we've heard, maybe we've misunderstood, maybe we've misapplied. God, I just ask that you'd speak to us. I ask that you truly bring a contentment that can only come from you. God, for many hearts and lives that are busy and hurried, that you just speak to us, slow us down. God, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would do something only you can do, Jesus, that we'd find true contentment in you and in you alone. So we thank you and ask that you'd speak and move in your wonderful name. Amen. You know, I can remember as a kid, my parents would kind of talk to me about like our schedule. I don't know. It's, time was a weird thing for, for children. I noticed for, for Micah, who's four today, uh, when we talked about time, he's very like confused. We're like, oh, we're going to go there in an hour. He's like, is this an hour? Like, no, we're going to go tomorrow. Is this tomorrow? So time's very difficult, I'm realizing, for kids. And my parents would talk to me about like kind of our, our calendar, our schedule. And they'd say like, hey, this month is like your friend's birthday. Next month, as a family, we're going to Disneyland. And the next month after that, it's summer vacation. And next month after that, life is over and you're back to school. Like I, just, I remember for me as a kid, I don't know if your, your mind was this way, but I was like, I would literally think about, okay, what's next? Okay, next, I get to do this. Then what's after that? I remember kind of coming to the end of my calendar going, I have nothing planned in like six months. And like, life is over. I don't know what that was. Even as an adult, I think this just kind of continues. There's this deep thought and desire of like, what is next? Like, okay, I get to do this in a couple of months, a fun summer vacation. Then what? And it's weird how we're constantly looking to the next thing. I think from a young age, I really did feel that of like, I realized that at a young age, like, it's never enough. Like, once that thing comes and goes, it's like, it was good in the moment. I don't know now if you experience this as an adult, but you might be having, like, a really great moment of family time, fun, hanging out. And not only if you've ever had that thought, and you'll have this thought now, but in the midst of that moment, you're like, this is going to end. I love this moment. It's like, you can't go on vacation. You're going, I'm on vacation, but this is going to end. And you get anxiety on vacation knowing that your vacation is going to end. It's just so bizarre. There is literally this, like, restlessness in all of us. And there's a famous quote by St. Augustine or Augustine, whatever, but he simply said, our hearts are restless until it rests in you, O God. And I find this to be so true. I find that the human heart, my heart, I think it's just in our DNA. I think we are very restless people. It's almost as if even in the moment, we know this will not ultimately satisfy, and we're like wondering what is next. What is that next thing? And for some reason, I do think with all of us, we see contentment as something out there. We look at contentment as one day, out there, and I think we really do kind of keep pursuing things because we think contentment is somewhere out there rather than in here, rather than how God designed it to be for us. You know, uh, there's a lot of different poets who kind of write about this and some different authors that talk about this uh, kind of this bliss, this idea of like one day we'll find satisfaction. I think the best is a quote you've heard because no one can put it better than C.S. Lewis, but this is how we put it. And maybe you've heard this. It's just worth reading again. He said, Simply this, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another word, world. Probably earthly pleasures, pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse my desire for that place. Because we constantly have these desires for things, and, and God's like, yes, there's a, actually a way to meet that need. But why do we have this like, eternal longing, something that's way more than temporal? And his whole point is, well, there's an eternal longing because there is an eternal answer. You say, I think we find this restlessness and this busyness and this kind of like sense of what's next because God made it that way. He wants it to be that way. 
He knows that ultimately we will not find satisfaction and contentment until we rest in him. The idea is this, and I just think it's, it's so simple and so true. There is, according to Ecclesiastes 3.11, this God-shaped void in the heart of man. There's this eternal void in everyone's heart that can only be fulfilled by an eternal God. And please get that. Whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, exploring the Christian faith, curious about all of this, I think all of us know there's this void. And this, this is kind of what drew, drew me ultimately when I go, Jesus, there's something about you. There's something unique and different about you. You are the eternal one. No beginning, no end. That this void that is like an eternal void in my soul can only be fulfilled by an eternal God. And this is kind of the, the topic of what Paul is describing. He's saying, I've learned to be content in all things. So let's just talk about contentment, can we? We're going to kind of walk through verse 11 through 13 and just talk about contentment. So here's what Paul says. Simply put, Paul talks about contentment. Here's the first thought. Uh, we're going to look at contentment is learned. Contentment is unrelated to our circumstances. And we're going to look at contentment's secret. All right, contentment is learned. Contentment is unrelated to our circumstances. We might believe that, but we don't believe that. And contentment's secret. So let's talk about this, all right? Contentment is learned. Look at verse 11 again, would you? Let's read verse 11, what Paul says. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Here's what Paul says. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I so appreciate this about Paul. Listen up. Paul's saying contentment's not natural. It's not like one day God just zaps your heart with contentment. Like, oh, I'm content. That's not how it, ha- that's not how it happens. It is a process. It's, it's learned. He's saying this. It's not our default setting. Like, I can see this with our three-month-old. You're not just, like, waking Like, you're not born. Like, I'm just content. Like, no, you're actually, like, constantly in need, constantly crying out. And here's the thing. I, I do see this in the very beginning. You look at Adam and Eve, and, and this, this story still always blows me when you think about how God first created the world. God creates man and woman. It's paradise. It's perfect. They're naked and unashamed. They have limitless food, communion with God. And God says, enjoy everything, but don't eat of this one tree. The day you eat of it, you're going to die. And it's like they had all, the garden was full of yeses, but they need that one thing. It's like there's just this discontentment just early on. And we just see this today. Here's what we do today. We kind of can say self-talk in our mind and our heart. We say, if only I had X, then I would be happy. If only I could have this dream job, then I'd be happy. If only I could make this much money, then I'd be happy. If only I could be married, then I'd be happy. If only I could be not married, then I'd be happy. Like, if only I had kids, I'd be happy. If only I didn't have kids. Like, we just constantly do this. And, and honestly, here's what we do. We move the goalpost. Here's what happens so often in life. You said, if only I had X, then I'd be happy. Then you get X, and what happens? You go, well, it didn't satisfy me like I thought it would. I mean, listen, listen to some of the greatest athletes, some of the most well-known celebrities. They go, man, I thought winning the championship would be everything, but it, I, I still need another one. Like, what, what is this just eternal longing in all of us? You know, it's almost, we're pursuing that, just, the American dream is like a carrot on a stick. It's just kind of saying, hey, the next thing, the next thing will make you happy, the next thing, the next thing. And we're like, yes, the next thing, the next thing, that's what I need. And we begin to believe this lie that if only I had this. And Paul's saying, I've learned to, com- to be content. You might, you might know the famous story between uh, John D. Rockefeller, who started, I think, Standard Oil. He was the, America's first billionaire, crazy wealthy guy. By, by today's standards, he would, like with inflation, he'd still be the wealthiest guy in the world in, in a sense. And this guy was crazy wealthy. And he, there's a story of a reporter who asked him a question, and they simply asked, how much money is enough money? And remember his answer? He said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And, and that really is the cry of the human heart. The cry of the human heart is just a little bit more. And so we want to talk about this. Paul said, I had to learn 
to be content. This is not my default setting. This is something we learn. Church and Christians, listen up, please. Contentment is learned. And it's learned through many ways and many avenues. David said this in Psalm, uh, I believe, 63. He said this, your steadfast love is better than life. How do we get to this point? How do we get to this thought where you go, God, your steadfast love is better than anything. Just you and your presence is better than anything I could get. So let's, let's talk about this. So really quick, by the way, what is contentment? Like, what is this idea of being content? How does the Bible describe it or define it? Here's the word, it's in Greek, so it, it does matter. It helps you a little bit. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Uh, Artiki, whatever. He said, it means this, a perfect condition of life in which no aid or support is needed. A perfect condition of life in which no aid, that, that's the idea of this word. Here's what it means. It doesn't mean I'm satisfied with myself. It means I'm satisfied by myself. Not necessarily with me, but I'm satisfied. God, there's a satisfaction deep within me with you that you've made my heart at ease and at rest. You know, this is something I think that you look at kind of the early church and how the church was birthed, and you, you see that the church did incredible things. People were literally throwing their babies out of homes. The church would take in these babies left on the side of the road, adopt them, bring them in. Why are you doing that? That costs money. That takes time and energy. And, and the church was just known for just having this deep, we'll take on more, we'll serve more, we'll give more, we'll do more. Why? Because I have everything if I have Jesus. And there was a sense of like this deep satisfaction that is so uncommon today, even in the church right now. It's so uncommon to find people who have satisfaction with Jesus and Jesus alone. It, it almost seems it needs, like it needs to be Jesus and. There's so many stories of great men and women who did incredible things for God, and you go, where do they find that peace? Where do they find that contentment? You know, during the English Reformation, uh, the church was being just brutally attacked. I mean, being, honestly, we were kind of being lit at the stake, like, daily. People were dying daily, being burned daily. There's two guys. His name was Hugh Latimer, and the other guy's name was Nicholas Ridley. And here's what they said, their last words quoted and written down by people who were there. They were literally at the stake, back to back, about to be lit on fire. And Hugh Latimer says to his friend, Be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man. For today, by God's grace, we will light a candle in England that will never be put out. There's so many examples of this, and you go, where do you find contentment in the midst of being lit on fire? Where do you find this peace that just surpasses all understanding? How do you, how do you get to this point? Where it's like, be of good cheer. We're going to be lit on fire, but it's going to light all of England on fire. I mean, in some of this, the greatest revivals took place and spread from England over to Amer- the Americas. Like, it just, it changed everything. And you just see something within just the, the person who's following Jesus, a deep contentment that was just uncommon. You know, here's what's interesting to me, and I want you to write this down and remember this and look at this. It's really interesting to me how contentment is actually commanded. If you think about it, contentment is actually one of the Ten Commandments. Here's the idea. There's the Tenth Commandment. The Tenth Commandment simply says, you shall not covet. You shall not covet. I'll read the verse to you. It's in Exodus, but here's the Tenth Commandment, just so you have it. Uh, It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. He's talking about his possessions. It's literally, and please follow me on this, don't get lost. One of the Ten Commandments is basically be content. You shall not covet. That's a command. If it's a command, basically God is saying you can live that out. It's really interesting to me how the last commandment and the first commandment are kind of bookends to the Ten Commandments. If you ever look at them or do a study on them, it is really interesting how it plays out. The first commandment is what? You shall have no other gods before me. The Tenth Commandment is basically saying the same thing in a different way. If God alone is my true God, the true person I worship, 
Nothing else will take his place. It's like bookends. If I have no other gods before him, I won't lie, I won't steal, I won't murder, I won't covet, because I'm so satisfied in him. It's interesting how the commandments do reveal within us this longing. Why is that? Why is it that I covet? This, and that could just mean this inner longing, this inner grasping that's unhealthy. This inner longing and grasping for something that's unhealthy. It's okay to have wants. It's okay to have needs. But why is it like control us to the point we can't think about anything else other than I won't be happy till I get this? You know, Paul actually says this. This is really interesting to me. Paul says the thing that helped lead him to his conversion in Jesus besides meeting Jesus face to face. Paul says in Romans 7 verse 7, listen to what Paul says. He says, I would not have known sin except through the law. Listen, for I would have not known covetousness unless the law said you shall not covet. I want you to go back and like read this, Romans 7, but it's very interesting. Paul is saying God used the command to expose this idol, this idolatry in my heart that I was just constantly longing for someone else's status, someone else's power, someone else's possessions, someone else's spouse. There's this constant longing. You know, John talks about it in 1 John. He talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. If you actually compare it, it's the exact same thing. The pride of life, do not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's house, like status and power. He goes, do not covet your neighbor's wife, the idea of the lust of the flesh. And basically he says, do not covet your neighbor's possessions. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And John in the Bible is constantly trying to reveal to us, listen, um, this idea of coveting is something that is just this inner grasping because we're so discontent with ourselves. Here's the thing, church. God is saying, you can live contently because I'm, I'm, I'm commanding it. You and I can have a content life ultimately with him because he commands it. See, contentment is learned. And let me explain this again. Paul had to learn it. Paul in Romans 7 goes, I did not know contentment. I coveted everything, and then the law revealed to me how, how deeply just twisted I was. You see, you and I can discover and learn contentment like Paul, so how? Let's move on. Number two. Number two, here's the second thought. Contentment is unrelated to our circumstances. Please believe this one, and please hear this one. I don't know if I always believe this, this sentence right here. Contentment is completely unrelated to our circumstances. Do you believe that? It's okay. If you, let's just talk through it. All right, verse 12. You're like, no. Okay, let's talk. Uh, verse 12 says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Again, contentment is unrelated to our circumstances. Paul says something really interesting. He goes, I've had a lot and I've been content. I've had a little and I've been content. My circumstances in my life didn't change my contentment. This is very interesting. Another way of putting it is more stuff won't bring deeper satisfaction and neither will less stuff. More stuff won't bring a deeper sense of satisfaction and neither will less stuff. Okay, here's a one verse, Proverbs 30. Write this down. It's a prayer. It's a very good prayer. Don't miss this. Proverbs 30, verse 8, it says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Listen to this. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Do you guys hear that? He goes, don't give me too much, lest I deny you. Don't give me too little, lest I steal and profane your name. He's basically, this prayer of his is, God, I want to learn how to be content with what I have. It's really interesting, guys. You can have plenty and still be discontent. You can have very little and still be discontent. It's funny, if you've ever talked to someone who's wealthy or poor and they have this dialogue, sometimes you, you can almost see them like argue, like, being wealthy is harder than being poor. No man, way, man. Being poor is way harder than being wealthy. And both have their issues. 
You could say, well, I have so little, no one cares, no one notices, I need help, I'm paycheck to paycheck or less, I have crazy debt, it is so much harder being poor. Sometimes we all think it'd be like, are you serious? I have so much I worry about, stress out about, can I even trust friendships and relationships in my life? Do I really know they care about me or what I have? I mean, both, I'm gonna be content with this in this moment. <laughs> I've learned in all things, to abound or to be abased, I've learned to be content. That is an incredible statement Paul's making. Here's another verse. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 12 says, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. This is a verse that says, hey, even if you do have wealth, it's difficult to sleep. A man who works and sweats, a man who maybe doesn't have as much, he might go to bed hungry, and his, sweet, his sleep is still very sweet to him. So both could argue why their case is difficult. Here's one way of putting it. False contentment is revealed by plenty and by want. False contentment is revealed by plenty and by want. Whether you have everything you want or you think you want, whether you have nothing and you think you need something, discontentment is still going to be in the heart of man. You know, there's this old writer, her name was Cynthia, I think, Heimel, and she would talk about celebrities, she'd write about celebrities who basically got everything they ever wanted and how it ultimately corrupted them. And I want you to hear what she said, because I think it's kind of spot on, even though it's, she's not a Christian. She says, the minute a person becomes a celebrity is the same minute he or she becomes a monster. When God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish and then giggles merrily when you suddenly realize you want to kill yourself. I do not fully agree with this, but here's what she said. Actually, Romans 1 does say this in its own way. Romans 1 talks about God gives you over to what you really think you want and how it ultimately corrupts you. You know, you might think, I, if I just had this person, if I just had this affair, if I just had these possessions, if I just had this, then I'd be happy. And if you begin to pursue it with all you want, God's like, I will give you over to it and you'll become corrupted. But you'll see how it will not fulfill you. You see how it will corrupt you ultimately. It's not that God takes joy in that. But sometimes I think you could say, the one thing you know I might not want is our prayers being answered for selfish things like this. It could lead to our own just end. You see, Paul said, I've learned to be content. Whether I had a lot or little, I've learned to be content. And, and this takes me back to what Paul said in 1 Timothy 6. So if you would turn to 1 Timothy 6, because Paul says the same thing, slightly different, in 1 Timothy 6 about the topic of contentment. So turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, few pages over. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's read verse 6. 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Look at this little phrase. We'll put it up here, but please read it. Listen. He says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's unpack this. Paul's talking about wealth essentially here, which we'll kind of get to the topic next week of generosity, money, what that does to our heart. Paul is saying um, true wealth is not found in your money. It's found in a godly life with contentment. People pursue wealth all the time in the, pers the pursuit of wealth or money. They usually find misery. He actually says in 1 Timothy 6, he goes, the temptation of money or the pursuit of money is a snare. We know it talks about the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Here's the thing. Money is not evil, the love of it, the pursuit of it. Money's not evil. Money is neutral. Money's completely neutral. It depends on the hand and the heart that owns that money. Money in the hand of someone who loves the Lord can be used in powerful ways. Money in the hand of someone who's selfish can be used in some destructive ways. Money's neutral. It's the hand and heart that holds the money. He's saying godliness with contentment, that's great gain. You want to have great gain in your life? Live a godly life with contentment and watch God just grow you. Then he goes on verse 7 and he says, For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. I love this mindset. 
Job says this, Solomon says this. Job says, naked I came into this world, naked I leave. Solomon says the same thing. He goes, we brought nothing in, we came in naked, and we're going to leave naked. He goes, you, you really brought nothing to it. You know, my wife just gave birth three months ago. We have a three-month-old little daughter, if you haven't heard about her yet. Just kidding. Uh, but when she came into the world, it's not like she came out with like gold bars and a gold wash. Like, oh, I'm here. Like, she came in naked. That'd be pretty cool. My wife would be really special if that happened. But she came in naked. The idea of this is anything we get in life is a blessing. Anything we get is also on loan. You see, here's the idea, and I know you guys know this, but can we let our hearts believe this? Uh, you and I, whatever we receive in life, you and I cannot take it with us. Can we just get that? You can't take it with you. Can we just say that really quick? Say, I can't take it with me. Say, I can't take it with me. I can't take it with me. The Bible communicates this idea, though, that you and I can send it ahead. The Bible says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I can't take it with me. But you know what? I can invest into eternal things, eternal relationships. I can invest into things, and I can send it ahead. He says, naked you came into this world, naked you leave. Verse 8 Paul says this, and having food and clothing, with this, with these, we shall be what? Say the word. Content. That, that is so challenging. With food and with clothing. He goes, be content with those things. W- there's a side of this where we just do think that next thing, that next person, then I will be content. He goes, no, no, be content. I love Luke chapter 12. We read it a couple weeks ago, but Jesus says, if God takes care of the birds of the air, how much more will he take care of you? Of you? Your father knows of your heavenly need. He sees it. Hey, be content with those things, he says. There's a fable that, you know, you can, maybe you've heard or read or they tell in kids' books or maybe you've heard it in some capacity, but there's a king who had everything, everything he ever wanted. This king had just wealth. He had authority, power. I mean, anything you could dream of, he could snap his fingers and he could have it, but he's a very discontent king. And the king tells his servants, I'm just restless, I'm not content. He goes to doctors, help me. I have everything, but I'm so discontent. And his wise men and the doctors say to him, listen, if you want to be content, man, you need to find the most content man in the kingdom and you need to wear his shirt. That will bring you contentment. So the king's like, go, go find me the most content man in the kingdom. Get me his shirt so I can be content. And so some months go by and they, they go back to the king and say, king, we found the most content man in your kingdom. And he goes, great, where's his shirt? They go, there's one problem, he has no shirt. And that's a fable that, it's a little story that what teaches us, obviously, things, possessions, that's not going to find and bring contentment. He goes, with these things, with what God's provided, you should be content. Let me just say this again. Circumstances do not change, do not bring or take away our contentment, even though we think they do. Contentment is so much bigger than that. That is why Paul will call the contentment a secret. So let's look back at Philippians 4. Let's go to our third point. Philippians 4, verse 12. Number three, contentment's secret. Contentment's secret. He says this, in, every, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He goes, I've learned the secret of contentment. The idea of contentment being called a secret is it's not that we don't know it is that we just don't know it. Let me put it this way. It's something we know about, but we don't know about. See, here's the idea. Contentment to us is still a physical destination rather than a mode of travel. We look at contentment as one day I will find it. Rather it being learned and rather not being a destination, but the way in which we travel to the destination. And that is what we've got to view differently. Contentment is not something that we will get one day. Again, it's a mode of travel. And he says, I've learned the secret. So we think it's one thing, but it truly is another thing. 
And Paul is saying, I, I found this. And I'm not that he's trying to hide it from us. And I know you might look on and say, this is the classic Christian answer, but it's so good. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, let me explain this. This might be the most quoted verse in all the Bible. It might be the most misquoted verse in all the Bible. Uh, I remember being in, in high school playing basketball, and I'd like, be at the free throw line and be like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Take a drill, shoot, and miss, like, I guess I can't do all things. Like, I remember like, having that thought, or, like, just, you know, trying to like, dunk the ball and be like, oh, I can't do all things. You know, and this would like, haunt me. And here's the, here's the thing that can I actually point this out. This is, the context is actually way more profound and way more beautiful. Because here, here, I'll say this. I think it's harder to be content than win a championship. I think it's harder to be content than make a free throw. I think what, what Paul is saying, what is so profound is the hardest thing I think for most people is to just live with contentment and you can do that through Christ who strengthens you. When he says through Christ who strengthens me, he actually says in Christ. That's a better translation, in Christ. In Christ, there's contentment. In Christ who strengthens me. That is a better translation of not just through Christ, but in him you will find con- true contentment. And again, you and I like to quote this verse for different movements or parts of our life, whatever. But this is so much more profound when you go, actually, one of the hardest things in life is to find a content person. But in Christ, it's completely possible. And Paul says, I've had a lot, but that, that a lot did not shift my heart to trusting that stuff. It's still trusted in Christ. And when I had a little, that did not move my heart either. I trusted in Christ. There's a verse in Psalms that say, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. I think that's so good. Paul, that's Paul. Paul's like, I was with Lydia and Philippi, wealthy women. We had nice dinners, steak, you know, lobster, whatever. He's like, he's, I've been around that. I've been part of the Sanhedrin. I've definitely had wealth, being part of the Sanhedrin. And you know what? That did not bring satisfaction like Christ did. I've been poor. I've been in prison. I've been writing to churches, hey, bring me my books. Hey, bring me clothing. Bring me my coat. Paul's writing that in, in books of the Bible. Hey, I'm cold. Can you help? And, and here's the thing. He goes, and I was content in those moments. You see, this is Supernatural. I think true contentment found in Christ is so much farther above and beyond our own abilities. It's not something we can produce or fake or manufacture. This comes with time, with intimacy. This is learned. This is through meditating on Jesus, getting to know Jesus, singing to Jesus, worshiping Jesus, just fixating our heart, making Jesus the center of everything. C.J. Mahaney said this about this verse, uh, a commentator. He said, Paul learned the secret because he learned to give attention to the Savior. You want to learn the secret of contentment? Learn to give attention to the Savior who has contentment. You see, the idea is not let's go to Jesus for contentment. It's go to Jesus and you will get contentment. Sometimes we think, I want contentment, let me go to Jesus. Just go to Jesus. Just bring in the presence of Jesus in your life. Focus on the person of Jesus and watch contentment come in. You see, so often we go, I want the hand of God and the blessings of God rather than I just want God. And church, let us be those. It's not that we're seeking contentment, we're seeking Jesus, and in that we find contentment. And the desire and the motive does matter greatly. And the desire and the motive for do you want contentment or do you want Jesus? And that, this can apply to any topic. What are you ultimately craving? If you're ultimately craving Jesus, you'll have contentment. If you're ultimately craving contentment, you're going to miss it. Crave Jesus, the one who brings contentment. Hebrews 13 verse 5 says it this way, keep your life free from love of money. And notice how money and contentment are always in the same breath. He says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. Why? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Know what the author of Hebrews says, who I think is Paul. He says, listen, you can be content. Why? Because Jesus is with you. True contentment is found in the presence of Jesus. It's found in him. I would say this for you and I, church. Um, 
we look around, we live in a very dissatisfied, discontent world. It comes into the church, it plagues our lives, it plagues my life, this discontent, this unrest. I, I don't want to ever get complacent, but I want to be, com- be content. I want to say I've not laid hold of that which Christ has laid hold of me, that Paul says earlier. I want to press on. I want to press toward the goal for the upward call of God. It's okay to have ambition. We'll talk about with Nehemiah. It's okay to have a God-centered, holy ambition, desire to grow. That is absolutely good. Selfish ambition? Ambition? No. This God-holy-centered ambition for God and his kingdom is a good thing. See, it's not what can I get from God. It's just I want God. It's not can I get contentment. It's just if you find God, ultimately that will be a byproduct. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto us. This is a supernatural thing. I cannot impart this to you. Only the Holy Spirit can. And as C.J. Mahaney said, it's like bring in the presence of the Savior. While you're driving, while you're working, while you're eating, while you're sleeping, whatever it is, like how do I constantly bring Jesus into the center of the moment of my life, of my universe? He is the center of it all. As I do that, a byproduct will be when catastrophe happens around me, I go, but if I have Jesus, I have everything. If I have Jesus, nothing can be stripped away. If I have Jesus, though the hurricanes come, the sword comes, I have the one immovable thing in the universe, and that is Jesus. The foundation, our refuge, our everything. You can strip away everything you want, but not Jesus. And he goes, so I've learned to be content. I found the secret to be content. I can do all things through Christ, in Christ, who strengthens me. Let us apply that verse to contentment. Here, I'll say this, quote Philippians 4.13. I'm not trying to like, shun you from quoting this verse. When you find discontent in your heart, when you find this, like, this, la- this anxiety building up in your heart, quote, th- this is when you do. It's, the purpose is for anxiety, for contentment. This is the time to go, you know what, Lord, I can be content in you. This is the time to speak that verse. Not before you want to try to dunk a basketball and break your leg. Like, that's not the time. But it's like, God, I can be content in you. I, I know I can do all, th- I can find contentment in you, Jesus, in this moment right now. Listen, I'm just going to say, if you are discontent, if your heart's just not at rest, find it in Jesus. Believe on Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Christians, believe the gospel message all over again. I know you've heard the gospel. Hear it again today for the first time. Trust in Jesus. When the things of this world begin to kind of scream at you and you need me, if you want to be happy, you need the next version, remind yourself of the gospel of Jesus. I would say this is, this is something that we constantly go back to. The gospel is not the diving board. It's the whole pool. The gospel is not the ABCs, it's the A to Z. It's everything. I'm constantly reminding myself of who Jesus is, of what he's done, where true meaning and satisfaction and contentment comes from. In him and not in my circumstances, amen? I would say find Jesus, believe in Jesus today. Christians, you too, believe in Jesus today, every day. I've decided to choose you, Jesus, over the circumstance. I've decided to find rest and peace in you over what might be happening in this moment. Amen? Amen, church? Let's pray, and we're gonna worship our Jesus. Let's do that. (sighs) Jesus, we just do want to worship you, sing to you, bring our focus and our attention on you. God, naked we came into this world and naked we leave. And Lord, we think of everything you've given in between. It's amazing, God. It's incredible. But those things will not bring us peace or contentment. That is you. So Jesus, I just do ask. I ask that we would be a community of people that live a godly life and have contentment in you, Jesus, and that would be great gain, great gain for your kingdom, great gain to win souls to you. God, I just ask that as we live uh, this life, that it would be focused on you. You'd be the center of all things. Jesus, even as we worship now, 
God, for hearts that are, are restless in this room, for hearts that are dissatisfied in this room, for hearts that even say, oh, I've tried the whole gospel thing, Jesus, let them just believe on you, rest in you. Let the gospel penetrate our hearts. Holy Spirit, do something new in this place. God, I just pray for marriages. God, I want to pray for those who are just dissatisfied at their work, that think the grass is greener somewhere else. Lord, let's not buy into those lies. Jesus, we just do want to enjoy you. We just do want to take in your presence. So Lord, we thank you again. We praise you now in your wonderful name. Amen.